Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. So today we are going to look at, uh, at our, our Exodus story. So if you've got your Bible or your brand new Bible, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 14. Now the fun part about today's lesson is I'm going to teach out of Exodus chapter 14 by not teaching out of Exodus chapter 14. You'll get it in a second because I, I don't even understand that statement. So Exodus chapter 14, today's title, the title for today, for those of you who are note takers, the title is going to be, Let's Go, Stand in God's Worship. Stand in God's Worship. Now, now the fun part is I, I almost didn't give it a title at all because I knew as soon as I said that, somebody would be like, oh, I'm on the worship team. I know all about worship. Or I grew up in church. I know all about worship. Or you know what? I go to a private school and I, I have a Christian family and I just grew up. I was born with worship music in the background. <laughs> I just knew there was going to be somebody like that that would then just flush the entire lesson. Uh, please don't. <laughs> there, there's a lot to this, actually. Um, I actually uh, did a study recently um, and, and, and I learned a lot from that study. Uh, if, you, if you are one who likes reading easy, short, tiny books, not, not big old honking skunk killers, like skunk walks up and you drop it on his head and it's dead. Like, like I'm, I'm talking little books, like uh, you might kill a mosquito if you dropped it on it. Uh, a little book. There's a book that I highly recommend. It's called The Air I Breathe by Louis Giglio. Um, those, those of you who... Uh, texted that phone number yesterday to receive the relationship series on that same deal is the, the series Through the Air I Breathe by Louis Giglio, um, which, by the way, uh, I've noticed quite a few of you guys have already started listening to the lessons there. It's, uh, if you didn't get that uh, series, I'll find me afterwards, and I'll, I'll get you plugged in with it. Um, it's not throwing this out there, too, for those of you who are like, I know all about dating. It's not about dating. Um, it's a relationships series. So anyway, worship. You guys are all there now. So let's look at what happens here in chapter 14. We're going to start in our, our, our lovely verse 10 because I like starting there. Chapter 14, verse 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. See, they had opposition, they had trials, they had struggle, they had doom, yet they still raised their voice to the Lord. Let's keep going. They said to Moses, Is this because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? And they start panicking. And then fast forward to verse 13. After all the panic and the screaming of loud noises, and Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work out for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. Well, I want to fast forward now. We, we've, we've seen this over and over. We're looking at this idea of, let's go, let's, let's stand up, let's rise. And, and what that means for us as believers. And, and I think one of the greatest things we can pull from this is, is actually going to be chapter 15. So go ahead and page turn. While you're turning that page, I want to read to you a section of scripture here. I'm going to read to you Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods for all the other gods of all the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering. By the way, offering means something you're giving out of sacrifice. Bring to him an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt every living thing in it. Then, uh, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. So this, this psalm starts with sing a new song. There have been many songs sung. Many, many songs sung. I mean, just think of how many songs you've sung in your lifetime. I'm not talking about just Christian songs, but songs that you have sung. That's a lot. I remember when I was in elementary school, I fell in love for the first time. She picked her nose so differently than all the other girls. I knew that it was just our destiny. And I remember I, I went out in the backyard and I climbed the tree. And I'm sitting in the tree just pondering the universe, as any first grader can do. And I begin to think, you know what? I should write a song about her. Thank God, I don't remember that song. <laughs> but I remember I sat in that tree and I sang it and I sang it. For all the nature's little animals to hear. You laugh, but I was in love. What is someone to do when they are deeply in love? 
just sing. So, I uh, know. She would never even talk to me. I went to a private school. I went to hold her hand once in prayer. I, I, I planned that one out. Stand next to her, I reach my hand over and I take her hand and she yells, oh my gosh, it touched me. <laughs> my little heart was broken, but I still sat in that tree singing because I knew one day she would come around. <laughs> but I remember just as equally the times where I was completely broken because my grandmother died and I went out and I climbed in that tree and I sat there and I sang to the Lord because I didn't know what else to do. And I was deeply in love. And what's a guy to do when he's deeply in love but sing? Now, I will tell you this. I have never been able to carry much of a tune. And when I'm writing a song, it's even worse. But when one is in love, you bring an offering. You bring a sacrifice. You bring a new song. And so in our story, we're fast forwarding now to Exodus 15. And I'm going to read us verse 1 through 21. And I'm going to let you guys know on a little secret. This is a new song. This isn't a song that Moses happened to hear on the radio. This is not a song that people called into the local station to hear. This was not on replay on his Spotify account. This was a new, fresh, and raw song that is being sung loudly. As a matter of fact, he is leading the people in this song. Well, who is Moses? By this point, I'm not going to call him an old man, but he's, he's, getting, he's getting some numbers. He might have a few little gray streaks in his beard. Moses, the broken murderer who was supposed to die at death and was let go by his own family and was adopted by a different family that was not his own, knowing that he would always be second place. You're never the best, Moses. You'll always be number two. And we all know, know that number two stands for you need to flush. Moses, the one who had a speech impediment when God says, Moses, I'm calling you, but, 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 but Lord, I, I, I'm one who can't, can't speak very, very well. Call my brother Aaron. Moses, the stuttering, the second place, the cast out, the murderer, the exile, the mutt. He came from a mixed family, and oh, that was not okay back then. He had so many blemishes on his name, he just stood in front of a people who rejected him and said, Moses, why are you letting us come out here? We knew you were a number two. Right here, Moses, the broken, imperfect person that is well beyond his pay grade. 
He spent his time shepherding in the wilderness after he ran from Egypt initially. That man, with every reason to not sing, stands up and begins to lead the first worship song in the Bible. You think that God can't use somebody who is broken or somebody who bad things have happened to? The first one. As a matter of fact, this song is very special. This song is one that was so touching to the heart of God. In Revelation chapter 15, this is the song that all the heavenly hosts are going to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Wow. There's some weight there. We can learn a lot here. If we're going to let's go stand in God's worship, then let's see what this song has to say. Because see, God desires and he deserves our worship. Now I'm going to go a little further than that. We were actually created to worship him. We were created to worship him. That was the whole point in premise is this relationship of worship. So then the question could come in, well, what does the word worship even mean? The same word that we have the word in English, worth, same root. Instead of worship, you could say worth-ship. It is a display of worth, and we all make a ton of displays of worth throughout each and every day with the things we say, with the things we do, with the things that come out of our mouth. Uh, James actually brings this up. He says, wow, you, you uh, curse man and then turn that tongue and talk to God? This should not be so. You see, our mouth is a very powerful thing. Our worship is a very powerful thing. In in the book of uh, Romans chapter 12, it says that actually worship is this, this idea of sacrifice. And when we sacrifice, that is our act of worship. Some of us, don't like to sacrifice much because we like to do what we want rather than what he has declared. Let me bring it to you this way before we read the song. What you do in your relationships with your father and mother, your brother and sister, with your boyfriend, girlfriend, is showing if you're prioritizing what you think you should do versus what God says In other words, you might be worshiping yourself and putting yourself and your comfort on the throne of your life as the thing of most worth-ship in your life. So let's look at this this deal of worship, of worship, starting here in chapter 15. When Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, and no, I'm going to spare you, I won't sing it. I'll read it. 
I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters, they piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them up. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You have led your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Felicia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling. Seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary of the Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. This is a beautiful song. And if you look at 19 through 21, something happens. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he is thrown into the sea. The worship was contagious because one person put God and his deeds as having worth. A crowd followed and began to worship the salvation of the Lord and his mighty hand and his name. So what can we take from this? What can we, I've been wanting to use this word 
all week because it popped into my head. What can we extrapolate? Yeah, it's a good word. What can we extrapolate? That means to, to pull something out of. Sounds a lot smarter than saying, what can we pull something out of? No, what can we extrapolate from this section of scripture? What can we, uh, what can we get out of it to plug into our own lives? What can we pull from this song that means something to us today? Because I don't know many of you who have been chased around the city streets by chariots. Maybe that's happened to you. Uh, I'll pray for you. Um, but this song, there's some principles in it that definitely apply to us as believers. No matter where we come from, no matter what problems we have in our past, no matter what problems we have in our present, and most definitely, no matter what wilderness lies ahead with a lot of unknowns. We can pull some things out of here that can help us greatly in standing up and rising in God's worship. So, verse 1, we see this. It says, then Moses. That's a great way to start a sentence, then. Which means this is happening because something else happened. Right? At the end of the story, it goes, then they lived happily ever after. Why? Because they met each other and fell in love and sang each other a song. Because what's somebody in love to do but sing a song? So it starts with then. So this song right here is response to something that God has done. There is a response by the people of Israel. And as a matter of fact, the rest of the verse goes on to say, I will sing to the Lord for or because. So this is a response, recognizing that which God has done. That's a great way to start in worship, is to recognize what God has done. And I'm not just talking singing songs. I'm talking about the worship of your life. I'm talking about the way you prioritize your relationships and your purity. By the way, purity goes far beyond keeping your britches zipped. Purity is allowing righteousness to come in. And because righteousness comes in, that is also what comes out. Pure water goes in. Pure water goes out. And the greatest source of pure water is the living water of Jesus Christ. And that, when we prioritize it, is our act of worship. And it requires a sacrifice. We have to sacrifice some things to have true worship. Some of you may have a relationship that you need to sacrifice. Some of you guys might have, might, might have the cool factor that you've got to sacrifice. But I want to be cool. I want people to recognize me. I, I want to look like I have it all together. I want to look like I have all the answers. You know, I, my, my family's all Christian family, and I, I do all this, and I, I always wear a Christian T-shirt, so I can't, I can't ever let anybody think that something is... Maybe you need to let that go instead of worshiping your identity there. Maybe you need to let go of the cool factor, or maybe you need to let go of your comfort and make a joyful noise. I remember the first time I heard somebody make a joyful noise in worship. I was standing right next to him. Um, 
In case you ever find this on uh, Facebook, his name's Jason Cox. I love you. Um, first time I ever heard somebody make a joyful noise. He was standing right next to me. We had been through camp. Our voices were shot. He's standing right next to me. We're singing, Lord, you are more beautiful. And we're singing. This guy right next to me, Jason. Woo, he was hitting all sorts of yodeling notes. Like, I just wanted to... I'm just kidding. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to run for my life. It hurt. It was one of those times where while you're singing, it's okay to sing like this. You know, I can't even hit the right notes, mostly because I can't sing either. But then you add in the fact that I can't even hear myself because he's so loud. His voice is like echoing into my ears. It's reverberating the heavens. Why? Because God had worthship in his life. God was worth more than my comfort. His God was worth more than people looking at him being like, wow, you have such a beautiful voice. You should be on American Idol. His worship was to God above all else, even though it hurt him, which I found out later because his voice was so shot. It hurt him. But God was worth it to him. So my question then is how on earth do I as a Christian stand in silent protest during worship and say things like, I'm worshiping in my heart. I don't have a good voice. You'll thank me later. You'll have to hear me for all eternity in heaven. <laughs> or the mumble worship. Your God is, is so small that he deserves this kind of worship. Then you catch yourself, you're just mouthing the words. then if somebody looks over at you, you say one, holy. Just so that people will think that you're actually prioritizing giving back your breath to the Lord. Which would then make you a poser. Because there's one thing that you're actually worshiping with the way you're sacrificing your time, your words, your breath. You're worshiping your comfort. That was not in my notes. Oh, here we go. Recognizing what God has done for us. See, this, this, this is a response. So he's recognizing what God has done for him. And with true and proper and godly worship, we are recognizing what God has done for us and allowing that to triumph, allowing that to win over recognizing what others have done to us. When we worship God, we are recognizing what he has over what we have. We are recognizing what he's done rather than what others have done.
There's some things that I don't bring up. Why? Because I don't want to give the enemy any glory that he does not deserve. But when my worship and my relationship with God and with the other children of God is dictated by what somebody has done to me, then I have allowed them to have more power than what my God has done for me. A prime example, I have been sexually assaulted more than once. As a matter of fact, one time was at a Christian event and the woman who did it said, oh, you're a guy, it's okay, you know you like it. When I allow what was done to me to triumph and resonate louder than what God has done for me, the enemy has won. And that is not the way I'm going to live my life. He does not deserve me to even speak of it with any power or holding over my life. Did it happen? Yes. The first time I found myself not able to touch anybody, including my own family, for over a year. I found the journal entries when I was cleaning out the basement the other day. But whenever my relationships with the godly individuals around me are dictated by what the enemy tried to do to take me out, I am giving him power that he doesn't deserve while robbing God the glory that he has displayed and can use me for in the future. And I am worshiping the wrong thing. True worship shows that you believe that what God has done for you triumphs over what anybody, including yourself, has done to you. See, in him, I'm more than a conqueror. In him, I am free. In him, because of his stripes, I am healed. There are many, many promises in God that are fulfilled. There are many, many lies that destroy and slow you down in the world. Don't go back. Stand in God's plan. Stand in his worship, recognizing what he has done. Well, I don't even know what he's done right now. It feels like he's done nothing. He's given you everything. He gave you every drop of his blood. He gave you every ounce of his life. As a matter of fact, that breath that you are breathing, that's not yours. Which one of you guys earned that first breath? That was given to you by God. In the garden, he made man and breathed into him. No other creation has that. When we worship, we are giving back what isn't even ours. And, and I, I do want to say this. There's two great quotes by Max Licato that I'm, I'm just going to read real quick. Uh, but yeah, Max Licato said this about forgiveness because forgiveness is key to worship in both directions. For us to truly worship God, 
He had to forgive us. And for us to truly worship God, we have to forgive everyone around us and receive his forgiveness. This is what is said by Max Licato about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying that the one who hurt you was right. Forgiveness is stating that God is faithful and he will do what is right. A second one by Max Licato in regards to forgiveness. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone else free and realizing you were the prisoner the whole time because that will put a chain on your mouth and on your tongue, and you can never exalt him in worship. Why? Because you're worshiping your unforgiveness and your misery, and you're prioritizing that over the freedom that God is trying to reach out with you. God is seeking true worshipers. As a matter of fact, there was a a lady in John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I'm saving you guys. I, I gave you blisters yesterday. So, John chapter 4, Jesus goes and meets a woman at the well, a woman who is very unqualified to even speak to a Jew, to even speak to God, to even speak to the Messiah. And Jesus goes out of his way to specifically meet her there. Well, but people are going to judge Jesus. Well, they will eventually anyway. So he goes out of his way to meet with her, and he makes this beautiful statement in, uh, in John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24. He's, he's revealing himself to her one, one little tidbit at a time, and, and she's saying, who are you? I'm, I'm unworthy. You, you shouldn't be speaking to me. Do you, if you knew who I was, and she said, I know who you are. And she starts perceiving him as a prophet, not realizing he's the Messiah, not realizing he came to save her. And he makes this statement, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, God is looking for true worshipers. God is looking for people who will truly put him on the throne of their life and say, you are worth something. You are worth more than this bad decision. You are worth more than this momentary temptation. You are worth more than anything that I even have. You are worth most. That is what God's looking for. Someone who will truly worship, not somebody who will lip sync the latest song. I love oceans. You just stand there and you're like singing oceans and, oh, it's so beautiful, this experience. And the whole time in your heart, you're thinking, wow, I really want to go get a Big Mac with cheese, extra fries. Where is your worship there? It's not with your mouth. Worship in spirit and in truth. See, we are loaned breath that was never ours. When we worship, we are returning a part of what is vital for our existence back to him. 
So a question I've got is, what are you giving your breath to? What are you giving your breath to? Gossip? Slander? Talking dirty? Foul language? Where's your breath go? What are you, what are you throwing into that breath that is God's? That you are raking him through. The truth is, when our ability to function in obedient Christianity is limited by other factors, we are giving those things more power than God, and we are exalting wrong rather than righteousness. Everything that proceeds from our mouth should be his righteousness. And that is where purity comes from. Righteousness and prioritizing him. When you prioritize God and his desires for your life, and you are worshiping him and his plan, the temptation to have sex, the temptation to go into pornography, the temptation to begin sexting, the temptation to go all the wrong ways is recognizably an empty well that will leave you nothing but broken in a place full of chains. Because in that moment, you worshiped the wrong thing. So what else is going on in this song? Well, let's look and see. Verse uh, 13 and 17. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength. Where? To your holy abode. His home. And then 17, it takes this thought further. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. See, when you're worshiping, God is bringing you into his presence. There's actually a Psalms that says he dwells in the praises of his people. Some translations say he is enthroned on the, the praises of his people. See, God is very present where the worship of God is because that is a relationship with him. And that's what he desires. 17 keeps going. Um, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. God wants us to be with his sanctuary. As a matter of fact, you fast forward, if you want, into the New Testament. There are people that are selling their bodies short into, into sexual immorality. And what is said to them? Do you not realize your body is a temple? Wait. Your body is a temple? God wants to dwell in your body. And he gave you his breath already as a deposit. He wants to dwell with you. Sing him a new song. Give him your worship. If you need him to be dwelling in your life, worship. You might be at a place where you feel all alone and the sky is falling and everything is falling apart. Maybe it's not because God has abandoned you. Maybe it's because you have abandoned worship. The bad things will happen. 
The bad things happen to the righteous and the unrighteous. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, but the righteous are the ones that worship him through it and say, you know what? I know that I don't want to do this anymore, but you are greater than anything in me that doesn't want to go. So what is worship? Well, worship is responding to God. It's reaching to God. And worship is also because he brings us out. Verse 15 through 17, it talks about him bringing out. He wants to bring you out of the mess you're in. And some of us cling to it like a badge of honor. Oh, but this happened to me, and I'm just going to drag it everywhere with me. Look at what happened to me. Look at, look at how I messed up. Look at, look. And then we worship God. And we worship while holding up this thing that we have never let go of. Because it's worth more than an open hand of receiving him. How is your worship, students? If we go by the song, if we go by your life choices, where is the worth? Because see, the worship you have will impact those around you. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.